0: Welcome back to the Novice to Office podcast. I am your master of all things bureaucratic, Trey Bam. Thank each of you again so much for tuning in. We are really taking off here, especially with the technical mastery of market scale, uh, the producers of the Novice to Office podcast, uh, as well as their amazing technical team. Uh, We've been laying the groundwork for the basics of American government, in our episode so far, and it's politics in our uh, nascent effort. Some wonder here which comes first, the politics or the government. Well, they are were co-generated once upon a time. Uh, Remember my word from episode one, symbiosis. Politics and government are one and the same at their most essential level. This is the case everywhere. As we will see, especially in our next few episodes, where we really get into the smaller jurisdictions as they are set up in the United States. Um, I've laid out everything to the state level, uh, which I've said is the most basic association in America, a state. In our country, the states created the federal government and... The states are the ones from whom we derive local government. The primary subdivisions by which we organize government around our actual house are not the building blocks. They are more like guides from the single building block that is the state. These building blocks have three names in the United States, county, parish, and borough, and then we also have what's called a township. So county, parish, borough, and township. Oh, my. In the next couple of episodes after this, we'll talk about those subunits you may be more familiar with, like the city, Uh, and we'll also talk about the school board and some stuff, but we have to talk about these initial ones first, the county and its county equivalents. So it's time for another political promise. Assuming the first couple minutes here haven't already tuned you out, I promise that what appears to be an inherently dry subject today, counties and county equivalents, will be most stimulating. It's what I do. Because most of us dwell in a city in America, we've pretty much forgotten what a county is or what it did or what it does. According to the Census Bureau, that original bureaucracy in America. It, I mean, it was literally empowered by a constitutional mandate. So it, it, it was ground-level bureaucracy. Almost 62% of us live in an incorporated area, a city in other words. Now, it's also true that of that 62%, three quarters live in what the Census Bureau calls a small town, under 5,000 people. Small towns may seem like living out in the country, but it is ultimately an incorporated area. Uh, that governs itself like a city, which again, as I said, we'll talk about uh, later. The county, regardless, is that basic political subdivision within a state and created by a state that governs that space between cities that form in it and uh, the county borders. So, who invented the county? Well, it's a term derived. From medieval nobility, it's actually an old French word, mainly, from Comte, which has been anglicized into Count. A count was a nobleman over an area of land in Europe that, as a rule of thumb, could generally be traversed by horseback horseback in one day, for the most part. When the Normans conquered England in 1066, the imported term Count came With them, and it was applied to earldoms and shires already there, as though those two political units were similar. So, in English, the name just got extended out to county. (laughs) So, county. Uh, The word shire, as I said, is a Saxon term that was already assigned to the subdivisions that were forming in England uh, back in the Middle Ages. Americans have left the term to the exclusive use of Middle Earth, but there is one remaining form of it in government uh, the word, the English and later the Normans had a feudal, uh, officer called a reeve. Okay. Think Superman in the old manorial estate system of Europe. The reeve was kind of a foreman overseer of the peasants who had various obligations to the Lord in terms of working the land. So it was kind of one reeve per manor per group of peasants. But if a Lord had the lands that covered an entire shire, uh, that other, that unit, he would be called the shire-reeve. Let me say that again. Shire-reeve, shire-reeve, shreve, sheriff. Ah, see what I did there? So the term came across the Atlantic as a county level type of manager of the people. In time in America, the sheriff was put in charge of the county jail policing the unincorporated areas, and enforcing civil matters like debt collection and guardianship. In Old England, the Reeve was often elected by the peasants, by that group that he oversaw, just like the sheriff would be in the New World. He would be elected independent of a county government. But back to the county itself, the place where the sheriff works, it's also no coincidence that the word county is an anagram with the word Court, a uh, court again goes back to England and France, and it would follow that English settlers would use the same type of governance in their colonies. Uh, before the Revolution, uh, the American Revolution, the magistrate presiding over a court was an agent of the crown. Only the king could appoint him. Afterward, uh, this individual would simply become the judge. And in keeping with the revolution and its principles, the judge would be elected by the people. Uh, Now, here's where it gets a little confusing. In most counties, parishes, and boroughs in the United States, there is a law judge, okay? A regular judge. In other words, the judge you probably think of when you hear the word, who presides over disputes and prosecutions in a black robe. Uh, But there's also a county judge Who does the actual administration of the subdivision? Uh, In many counties, this is called a county executive. He or she uh, has other names in other states, but it is the county judge who is the primary official of the subdivision. Uh, He or she is official number zero, in other words. As the nation got settled and the states began to organize counties, they would uh, literally. Just create the lines on a map and tell the people to start things off by electing a judge. Uh, the people would then do this, and the judge would convene court under the shadiest tree he could find, and they would go from there, adding offices and buildings and services as they needed them. Uh, usually starting with the sheriff. Um, we'll talk more about all these other offices here in a minute, but they are basically ways. Uh, the role of county judge or county executive has been delegated over centuries of American democracy. Uh, They kind of evolved. But the basic top offices are judge, both for the law and the executive judge and sheriff. In 1803, President Thomas Jefferson wanted to purchase New Orleans from Napoleon, who he heard needed cash. Jefferson knew that the key to long-term growth and security to the country would be to control the Mississippi River from both ends, uh, up in the north uh, as well as down as it emptied in the Gulf of Mexico. Our old friend James Madison was the Secretary of State for President Jefferson, and he told his buddy James Monroe to go to Paris and buy New Orleans. Monroe approached Bonaparte with the proposal. He was authorized to offer five million dollars for New Orleans. Bonaparte, in a hurry to get a deal done, said, "Actually, for fifteen million dollars, uh, or which is about three hundred thirty-five million dollars today, uh, for fifteen million dollars, I'll give you New Orleans and our entire North American claim up to British Canada, out over Texas and out west to the Spanish Rockies." But then Napoleon said, "This is the only deal you're going to get." <laughs> so it's fifteen. In other words. I really need the $15 million fast because the British are breathing down my neck. And Monroe made the deal. He knew a good one when he saw it. Uh, In addition to doubling the size of the United States, the Louisiana Purchase also brought with it much French culture and ways of doing things. We all know about Jambalaya and Mardi Gras, but we also got a different name for the county level subdivisions, the parish. When we got Louisiana. Now, this is an amazing word, especially in the context of American government, parish. A parish is a religious word. The word parish has a long history, but its root is in ancient Greek, which means basically a home away from home. That's what parish means. Um, ancient Christians seized upon the word as they were getting organized and organizing their churches. That We know that the basic church unit surrounding a physical building is called a parish. So believing their true home to be in heaven with God, according to the promises of Christ, the early church called their physical churches, literally their homes away from home, their parishes. And pretty much every church denomination uh, in the West, in Europe, with the exception of American Protestants, Protestants over here, kept that organizational unit going. Uh, France settled at the mouth of the Mississippi River in the 1680s, primarily as the southern outlet port for their empire of fur trading, which you know went all the way up into Canada and the Great Lakes. The way that both the French and the Spanish colonized was through communities built around a Roman Catholic church. Uh, therefore, they called their settlements by the church name of parish. That just seemed simple to do. By the time of the Louisiana Purchase, the use of the term parish to describe a area like we talked about had become so entrenched that the first state of Louisiana simply kept the term when they began uh, their admission processes to the union and then organized their counties after 1812. So what is really a religious term has now become a government one. We have one other county type name in America and that's the borough. 48 states have counties, though Connecticut and Rhode Island, just have them in name they don't actually have county governments um because they're so small so they just kind of have counties that exist on a map and then 48 so louisiana has parishes as we just mentioned 49 well alaska chose to go with the name borough for its subunits now borough uh is also in new york city and it's unique there because uh Their counties are inverted around the city. (laughs) Um, So their city straddles five boroughs, which are like counties within the city. But Alaska chose borough because they were so sparse and they had huge areas of the state that that they couldn't form a county out of, mainly because of no tax base. So they just kind of used the word borough for both the organized areas and the not and not uh, for their county equivalents. Well, Americans also have another sub-association that's just beneath the county. Um, What is it? I will tell you after my famous shameless plug. Are you ready to become a change agent in your community? Are you tired of the same old people running your local government? Well, your country needs you in office now more than ever. My name is Trey Bam, and I have a lifetime of experience in politics and government. I have either managed or supported more than three dozen campaigns. I want you to get elected in your community and I can train you with my new innovative online course, Novice to Office. Novice to Office instructs the beginning candidate in everything they need to know to win their election. That's right, I condense the expertise and knowledge used by political professionals and make it available to you. My course will teach you the three core concepts of campaigning you can use to be successful at winning your election. If running for office is something you've thought about, but the how-to seems vague or intimidating, novice to office takes away the mystery. In my course, you'll learn how to use social media to reach those likely to vote in your election. You'll be provided with a draft budget and learn the basics of fundraising. You'll be able to organize a strong and effective get out the vote effort and I will take the information you provide and craft a message that can be tailored for any occasion. My course also includes a 30-minute one-on-one consultation about delivering your message, and we'll also discuss what's unique about your campaign. That's two hours of professional guidance. Using my approach, 80% of my clients either won their election outright or made the runoff, sometimes having never even set foot in the public square. There's no reason state-of-the-art political consulting should only be available to those who can raise the most money. Novice to Office makes consulting that normally costs thousands of dollars available for less than $500. The course, its templates, all upgrades, and discounts on additional consulting and future modules will be yours for a lifetime. Click the link below or sign up at NovusToOffice.com and become a change agent for your family, your neighbors, and your community. That's novice My name is Trey Bam, and I wholeheartedly approve this message. Welcome back. We are discussing the different political subdivisions of a state within the United States. And by subdivisions, we mean those administrative units of uh, between the state and the city, counties, parishes, boroughs, and now townships. Oh my. Townships are a unique association in America. They do not exist in all the states. Twenty, Only 20 states have townships. But basically, think of a township as a band of towns kind of pooling their resources for infrastructure, safety, and law enforcement. Uh, but this... Band of towns is not every town in a county. It's just a group of, of of towns or small cities in a county. Townships have their origin in how the early Puritan New England villages and towns banded together for various purposes uh, way back in the seventeenth century. The institution then migrated west across the Erie Canal, like we talked about last week, and so and they generally stopped on the northern plains. Townships don't exist in the South or Texas or out to the Southwest, uh, mainly because this region developed without kind of an urbanized orientation, like, like I talked about back in episode two, but townships continue to play a unique role in their communities, uh, often acting as kind of a buffer of sorts of public services and resources against what is increasing partisanship, uh, that's occurring at the smallest, uh, city council and school board level. Uh, And and even in some counties. Now, let's take a few minutes here uh, in our time and let's talk about the different offices that exist at the county level. And by county level, of course, I mean counties, boroughs and parishes like we've been talking about just applies everywhere. Uh, Townships are run by commissioners and we're going to talk about county commissioners here in a second. So I figured that's covered. It's kind of a similar role. Counties, as you could imagine, are very influential over the everyday lives of citizens and their families. Uh, the county is the starter unit in a state. The county has that day-to-day responsibility for safety and above all, uh, when associations of all types start to break down, the dispute. <laughs> that's, that's all handled at the county level. Now, disputes, of course, are civil A dispute about owing money or breaking a contract or something like that. And then there's the really serious dispute called crime, (laughs) where someone is a victim and doesn't have much of a say in the dispute. (laughs) Counties are the units that manage these issues. Counties are also responsible for kind of basic infrastructure. Now, counties historically had a greater responsibility for this than cities because they were responsible for connecting country with town uh, in the nation's early agricultural days. Um, They were critical for this reason, kind of as economic development. States obviously have stepped into that, and we're not going to talk about infrastructure right now. We'll do that definitely in a future broadcast. Um, But the point is that counties are the main local infrastructure uh needs assessor, let's say. They're the ones on the ground who have to pay attention to what their local people need, what the local economy needs. And it is pure retail politics how that's done. Okay. Over time, as states were settled and their legislatures organized their counties, the workload began to need to be divided from the county judge or the executive uh, as a county's population increased. Um And they divided the workload amongst commissioners who would serve a precinct within that county. So what happens in counties, parishes, and boroughs is they're divided up into precincts. Precinct, which is a Latin term that means to grid or mark off. So a county will split up into precincts. Usually we've just gone with about four precincts uh, just to keep it kind of manageable. And that's generally the case around the country. And so then each precinct is represented by a commissioner elected just in the voters of that precinct. Okay, that's how the commissioners are picked. Those commissioners and that county judge or executive then convene in what's called the county court uh, led by the county judge. Uh, And it's like a law court in the sense that they are serving a legal entity with legally defined needs, but they don't deal with full on disputes like civil disputes or, of course, uh, criminal situations. Those are done by regular courts, uh, but they do deal with everything else. They deal with everything from setting the budget for local county law enforcement uh, to local infrastructure, those rural roads especially, uh, all the way to something as menial as budgeting for burying the indigent. That's what the county does. Public health. The over time, the more elaborate the needs of the county were, the county executive got help um, by being empowered with other types of officials to help with these these administrative needs, which became more specialized, as well as to protect against graft, corruption, and fraud within that county. Um, you could imagine that a given county judge or a county executive, especially out in the country, kind of with limited transportation and communication, could become very powerful, like a little miniature gangster boss. And this has occurred in many instances and many times across the country, and it continues to occur in various forms. Uh, But to get the work done and to help divide the government to kind of create more accountability, states have uh, set up counties to have the following types of officials, which I'm going to go through really quick. They're all led by that judge and those commissioners. Uh, official number one, the county treasurer. Now the county treasurer's job is actually pretty straightforward. They just keep track of all the revenues for the county, uh, through taxes of all types. But the main tax that a county uses is ad valorem taxes or property taxes. The treasurer basically collects all the money, makes the deposits and then dis- disperse, distributes it to the various departments of the county, uh, like the sheriff's office, or, um, the precinct offices where road and bridge uh, jobs or work orders are are organized uh, to the the various health departments, health inspectors, things like that. Uh, separate from the county treasurer is the county tax assessor or sometimes called the county tax assessor dash collector or sometimes just a tax collector. That's an awful name. I don't know that many people use it anymore, but this individual is the one who actually runs the county tax office, which most of us are probably more familiar with when we think of county, uh, this is the guy or gal who has that office downtown where you go in and pay for your vehicle registr- registration, so you get your boat title. You can also pay your property taxes there and all that kind of stuff. The guy or gal who runs this office um, is kept separate from the county treasurer, uh, kind of for obvious reasons. It may not seem efficient, but the idea is that the assessor collector shouldn't be the same person as the one who collects the uh, deposits, the money. Uh, the basic idea again is to, so that the people will have accountability, uh, for these people. And they're also responsible for customer service. A lot of people don't know this. A lot of folks gripe about the tax office, mainly because they're having to go in there and pay something they don't want to pay. But, I mean, let's be honest. We've all been in county tax offices where maybe the line didn't go so fast or maybe the lunch break seemed to not be held at lunch. It seemed to always be held when we were there. Um, a lot of people don't realize that the guy, guy or gal who runs the the county tax office and almost all Counties and parishes and boroughs is an elected res- official responsible for customer service. So I'm the one who let the cat out of the bag. If you are a county tax assessor collector out there who just suddenly drew a primary opponent, I am the one to blame. We also have at the county level uh, our county auditor. Uh, now, this spot is not often elected. In fact, it, it's rare that it is. Often, county auditors are appointed. Uh, because it's a very specialized job, and they're the ones who do what it sounds like. They just check the books. In many counties, especially smaller ones, uh, this spot is maybe rotated amongst local CPAs or professionals, um, just to kind of keep everyone honest, and it sometimes just pays very little. It's kind of a community service, but that's the county auditor. Finally, we have the county clerk. Now, there are many other elected offices for counties and parishes and boroughs, uh, but I'm going to end the dental surgery here by just talking about the county clerk because it's very important. The county clerk job may seem kind of simple in that they simply keep the records, but that record keeping can become a huge job even in a smaller county. The clerk primarily keeps what they call vital records, okay, that like the birth and the marriage and death certificates. Why do we have these certificates? Because they are key to establishing relationships in legal matters. Without them, we can't get a driver's license. Uh, with Someone may not be entitled to claim part of an inheritance, or a widow may not be able to collect her deceased husband's uh, insurance. Uh, Without these certificates, the clerk has to keep up with all this and run an office that collects these records and maintains them. And and, in the digital age, in a very advanced way, in many instances, the clerk is also the local official who actually runs the elections uh, or they supervise an, an election specialist. So it's very important. In past history, not that long ago, really, Uh, An independent county clerk, if there wasn't an independent county clerk, local officials would sometimes engage in monkey business with the records, especially if they didn't want something to happen. So, you know, there are all these old tales. I mean, you can kind of Google them and look them up in old newspapers where maybe the records were in a warehouse or in the courthouse itself, and and it would all suddenly catch fire and the records would get get lost. Um, You know, usually to get around something legally. Well, the county clerk is the person accountable to the public to maintain these records. I'm sorry I haven't had as many stories in this episode. It is more textbookish, uh, But to stress the importance of the county clerk, I'll tell one. In 1828, when Andrew Jackson was running for president, the second time against someone who became his arch enemy, John Quincy Adams from Massachusetts, who was the incumbent, Adam's campaign went after Jackson's wife, Rachel, uh, because there was no divorce document from her first marriage. She had lived on the frontier and her first husband, and when they split up, they simply engaged in what was called self-divorce, which I guess, okay, (laughs) and there was no record of the matter. They just kind of did it, and then she met Andrew Jackson, and they married uh, only later to realize, hey, did you have that original document? No. Oh. <laughs> so they went and married again. But during the campaign, Adams Camp just went after the Jacksons as as immoral, wild people. And it was just brutal. Even by the today's standards, the things they did to her. I mean, it would make your toenails curl. So the county clerk is important. Always get your paperwork done at the clerk's office. Otherwise, what happened to Rachel Jackson, it was another version of symbiosis, but the negative version version of symbiosis, of politics and government. One day I'll have to do an an episode dedicated only to symbiosis. Symbiosis is a lot like the force. There is both light and dark. As we conclude, I want to show you really quick a copy of a county budget. If you haven't picked up on it in in our podcast by now, one of my goals is to convey practical empowerment on where you can look up what's going on in your government, especially in your local government. Uh, I want you to be able to to know because it's all out there. And if it's not, that's a point of contention. Uh, Remember, local government, county government especially, has a lot of impact on you. So Here I have a copy of the budget of Hunt County, Texas. Hunt County is my home and where I've lived most of my life before moving to Metro ATX. Uh, So I am uh, most familiar with this budget. But Hunt County is interesting in that it's also a good example of kind of the average county in America. The average U.S. county and its equivalents uh, which we mentioned is right at 100,000 people. And it's, a, it's a, little over 100, uh, or a little over 1,000 square miles. Hunt County has 99,000 people and is just over 880 square miles. So this is a good example of just your run-of-the-mill county. So here on the county website, it's just real simple, uh, there's the good old courthouse. You look over here, And you can click on financial transparency and you can go here to budget reports and tax rates. And of course, there's a lot here, but let's focus on this. You can click on county budget and financial reports. And here's the budget for fiscal year 23 through 24. So it's, it's starting, it's getting ready to start because they start in October, most, most fiscal years, and this will go into next year. So here are the, the different documents. And uh, here's the meeting minutes. Here's the proposed budget. And here is what um, I want us just to look at very briefly, super briefly. That way you can just kind of have an idea of what a county does and how significant it is. So here's a good old Judge Stovall's certifying signature. Um, Here are all the officials of the county. Um, And again, I didn't talk about like the law courts. Uh, we'll do that definitely at a do- different time when we talk about the judiciary. Here's the appraisal document, and here's a, just a summary of the budget, and this is all we'll look at. But just so you have a clue, see up here? Uh, here's There's a category called maintenance and operation. Well, that's what it says, maintenance of existing county assets like roads and various facilities, but it also includes the salaries of the county employees, this category. Different counties and parishes and everybody, they do it differently, but here in Hunt County, they call it fund number 10, maintenance operation, includes all of the, the, that's everybody's pay that they're getting. Uh, Now, the different precincts, they don't have them named as precincts, but they have them classed as road and bridge, one, two, three, four, those are the precincts. And this figure over here, is what they're budgeting to actually spend on building roads, the, the physical supplies and uh, construction. So that's what that means. Now, down here, you have uh, um, various other uh, line items. But look, I, w- I want you just to kind of see, let's see here. We've got like, okay, that's for the district clerk, which again, that's part of the ju- judicial system. Um, but elections administrator... County clerk records management, okay. Different archival fund. These justice court technology clerk archive fee. These are all the. A lot of these are the costs and light items related to keeping those records that I talked about, and that's that's why the county's so important. I mean, that's what it does. It's an impartial place to keep up with important simple records to maintain our legal system. Okay. So very important. It's, you know, it's a nickel out of your taxes, but it's, it's critical. And so that's just what they do. But here's the grand total. The hunt County has for twenty three twenty four fiscal year is going to have a, a, a budget of just under $110 million. Okay. Just that's the, that's how much your average County costs to run. And I'm sure it's similar with maybe local price variations factored in, but but the same pretty much all over the country. Um, and then, you know, with a document like this, you can go, you know, th- it's very well put together and, and it just breaks down in, in, as, in plain English as best it can, the tax rates, which again, we'll talk about taxes later on, but um, it talks about the various accounts and then it breaks it down. um by department. Uh, Now, in this document, they have some worksheets, but it'll break it down by department. And you can see here is how much the different executives uh, will earn. Um, Actually, that's the worksheet. Let me go down here a little bit. You can go by each category and see this is how much we're spending on each office. So here's the county clerk. And there's number one, elected official salary. And that's how much She's going to, uh, she's, they're going to get paid, uh, in the next year. So that, that's where you can find that out. That's how, you know, and there's, there's how much it costs to run the, de- the department. Anyway, thank you for listening and for your patience. Uh, this one again is more academic and, uh, speaking of, of dental procedures, uh, we're going to skip, uh, probably a week just on our podcast uh, and we'll pick it back up with, actually, I think it was going to be two episodes on cities in America and just kind of how they run and kind of what makes them unique. So I'll there will be a little bit of a break uh, while I get my teeth worked on. Uh, then we'll pick it back up again after that. Uh, until then, keep it free.